Good morning. Good morning. Should we pray? Should we pray before we, uh, we start? Father, I thank you that we have the privilege of coming into your presence this morning. We have the privilege of knowing that you are with us. Lord God, what, a, what an astounding thought. What an astounding thought that the creator of the universe welcomes us into his presence. And Father, what an astounding thought that the creator of the universe speaks to us through his word. Lord, we are, we're amazed, Lord, that you would welcome us. We're amazed that you would speak to us. And Father, I pray you would speak to us now, Lord, as we open the scriptures, as we look at, at what you want to speak to us this morning, I pray that you would speak right into hearts, Lord God. I pray that you would speak the, right, the, the words that you need to speak to the right people. Thank you, Father, that you are able to apply the same scripture to so many different people's lives in exactly the way that they need. And I pray, Father, that you would do that today, Lord God, that we would know your presence with us. We'd know your presence with us this morning as we hear your words read, as we hear it explained. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Life Church. Particularly those of you who are, uh, who are new, perhaps this is your first week or you're, you're, you haven't been around for a little while, you're very, very welcome. As Sam said, my name's Dan, and uh, I'm going to be speaking and teaching from the, uh, the scriptures, from the Bible, for the next half hour. And uh, if you haven't been around for a while, well, actually, if you just weren't there last week, you might not know that we are in a new teaching series called Five Ways to Be. And uh, we are talking about five things that we want to be like as a church. And I'll explain in a second where we're going with this. But um, if you if you want to catch up on last week's sermon, you can listen to it on the podcast, which I'd encourage you to, because Vauta last week explained where, where we feel God is leading us as a church. Okay? Where are, what are some specific things that we feel God has spoken to, Life Church specifically, alongside all of the things that any church should be, but what are some specific things that we feel God has spoken to us as a church and where we want to be going over the, over the next season? And uh, you can listen to Vauta explain a bit more about that, but we, we felt God's challenge us to, be a, to, to look to build a church that is culturally diverse, a church that reaches the next generation. It says we want to make sure that, the, that those who are young and the next generation of people find God, and that that's a major part that we feel God wants us to play as a church, that we would be a church that have a significant impact on the city. We'd hope that any church would want to have a significant impact, but we do feel that God has called us perhaps to be visible in a way that might not necessarily be what every single local church is is called to. And we also feel that God has called us to be a resource base for mission, to send people out to plant churches or to go overseas to, to do the work of God's there. And so those are the four things, and Vauter explained a little bit more about them. You can catch up. So that's where we feel God is asking us to go as a church. That's kind of the journey alongside what every church should be about, what is a journey that might be quite specific to us. But what we're doing in this series, as we're talking about five ways to be, is we're talking about what do we want to be like on the journey? Okay, so to a certain extent, regardless of what God is calling us to, what's the kind of church we want to be as we're looking to go where God wants us to go? And uh, I mean, maybe one way you might think about it is what kind of culture do we want the church to have? What kind of flavor do we want the church to have? Okay, so you go into a particular restaurant. If you go to an, uh, into an Indian restaurant, you know that there's a particular flavor, a particular smell that that restaurant has. If you go to a for some reason, I've just got curry on my mind now. But if you go to a French restaurant or to a tapas bar or a Greek restaurant, there's a different flavor 
that it might have. And um, to a certain extent, this is the flavor that we would want any church to be. Okay? These, are, these are the five things that any church should be aspiring to. But we want to grow in having a flavor, a kind of culture that when people walk through the doors or when they hang out with us for coffee or when they chat to us or our neighbors having conversations with us, they would be able to say, these people are like this. We experience this kind of flavor when we go to this church. And those five things that we're looking particularly to highlight um, in, in this next season are to be a church that is joyful, which Valter spoke about last week. Really encourage you to listen to that. I think, to be honest, probably the most important of the five. Because if we are a church that is joyful in God, all of the other stuff will probably naturally follow. So have a catch up on that if you didn't, if you weren't here last week. We want to be a church that is joyful. We want to be a church that is courageous. We want to be a church that is real. In other words, what you see is what you get. That kind of a church, not a fake church, but a church where people are real and authentic. We want to be a welcoming church where people walk in and they think, I feel welcomed. Where people who are new feel welcomed. Where people who have been around for ages feel welcomed. And a church that is generous. Generous with our time, with our resources, with our money, with our spiritual gifts. So joyful, courageous, real, welcoming, generous. See if you can remember those all off by heart over the next, uh, the next five weeks. We're going to be referring to them quite a lot. And today I've got the privilege of talking about being a church that is courageous. Okay, a church that has courage. A church that is bold. So we want people to think and we want to be able to say of ourselves, this is a church, this is a community that when God asks them to do things that are scary, end up doing them. That's the kind of culture as a church, the kind of flavor that we want to have that doesn't shrink away when God asks them to do something scary. And uh, it's worth pointing out that being a follower of Jesus requires courage. It requires doing things that God might call us to do that actually look scary on the face of it. Where you think, I would not naturally choose to do this. This is a scary step that I'm about to take. And to a certain extent, you might expect that, okay? Because we are following a courageous person. We're following Jesus. You read about Jesus' life in the Gospels, in the New Testament, and uh, you see a man who is courageous. You see a man who's courageous when he confronts religious authorities, when he calls the religious authorities to, count for the way that, to account for the way that they are treating God's people. You see a man who has courage when he ends up being rejected, even by his family. That takes courage. To stick to your principles, to stick to what you stand for, even if your own family are rejecting you. That takes huge courage. Perhaps the biggest display of courage is going all the way through with the cross. Where Jesus says, I am going to suffer the most horrific death I could possibly face for the sake of those who will be saved through it. That takes courage. And so if that's the person that we are following, you would expect that those who follow therefore have the same kind of characteristic, that they are a courageous people. And so for us, what that might look like is having the courage to share the good news of Jesus with our friends or with people on the street or with our neighbours or with our colleagues. That takes courage. For some people, that might be more of a habit than others, but it is something that takes courage because we might think, what if I face rejection? What if they think that I'm stupid? That takes courage. It may be the courage to refuse to do something in the workplace that you're being told to do because it would be disobeying God. And you think, actually, I, you know what? I can't lie about the product that I'm meant to sell in the way that you're telling me to because that would be dishonest. That takes courage. You think, am I going to get fired? 
Am I not going to get the promotion that I might have got if I had lied about this product? could be the courage to be honest about struggles that we have, which we'll talk about a little bit next week, I'm sure, when we talk about being a church that is real, but that takes courage. It could be the courage to make a difficult decision as a family, to say, actually, we feel God is calling us to give this amount, for example, monthly to Life Church or to whatever it is else that God might be calling you to give to. And you think, but if we do that, and if we obey God in this moment, that might mean that we might not be able to go on that holiday that we wanted to. That takes courage. It takes courage to make a difficult decision as a family. It might be the courage to end a relationship that you know is against what God's purposes are, that you know this is going to bring destruction, this is not going to bring life, and you're stuck in it and you think, I need the courage to end this now. That takes courage. It may be moving to another nation because you know that Jesus is calling you to and you want to reach a group of people who've never heard the gospel in their lives. That takes a huge amount of courage. And that's the kind of thing often that God calls us to. I think for us, to a certain extent, this pales slightly into insignificance compared to this last one. But for us, moving to Peterborough actually was a bit of a step of courage. It wasn't like, I don't know, moving to a country that I couldn't speak the language of or anything. So it wasn't like we were like, I don't know, biting our nails or so on. But there was a sense of courage where we say we're uprooting ourselves from a place that, uh, that Bex had spent the whole of her Christian life in and that I had spent pretty much all of my adult life in and saying we feel God is leading us to move to Peterborough. That takes courage. It takes, a, it takes a certain amount of courage. And so we want to be a church that is growing in courage. Yeah. Are you up for that? Yeah. yeah? But the question is, how do we grow in courage? And so what we're going to do today is we are going to look at the scriptures. We're going to look at a scripture in the book of Acts. So you can open up your Bibles there if you've bought your, your Bibles or go there on your phone. Words will come up on the screen as well if you want to follow. But we're going to read a story about when Jesus' disciples needed courage. Okay? They were facing a scary situation in Acts 4, and they needed boldness to do what God wanted them to do in this particular situation. So if you could turn to Acts 4, we're going to... Read that in a few minutes, but let me just give you the, the context of the story so you know where we're jumping in. So Jesus has been raised from the dead already. So at this point, Jesus is alive. He has ascended to heaven and is ruling and reigning. And he has told his followers, I want you to tell the gospel to all nations. And what he's done is he's sent the Holy Spirit to fill his disciples, to give them power and boldness, to proclaim the good news that Jesus is king to everyone. And... Uh, it was a pretty successful first sermon. If you read in Acts 2, Peter preaches the gospel and about, I think it's 5,000 people get saved. I mean, that's a pretty impressive evangelistic message. Then a chapter after, Peter, who's one of, the, one of the disciples, and John, who's another one of the disciples, go into the temple and they end up praying or healing a man who'd been crippled from birth. And immediately, I mean, that, that grabs people's attention. So they're like, what on earth is this? And they preach the good news. And again, a few thousand people respond. I mean, in terms of needing courage, at that point, you'd probably be going, hey, I think we've got this sorted. But immediately what happens is the religious authorities hear what's been going on and they arrest Peter and John. They throw them into prison. They have a bit of a discussion amongst themselves. What are we going to do? Like Everyone knows this man's been healed. And they tell them, you must not preach about Jesus anymore. We're going to let you go, but you must not preach about Jesus. And then they're set free. And this is the point where we join the story. So here is how the disciples respond. Here's how John and Peter respond. So Acts 4, verse 23 to 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and, perform, uh, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wouldn't you like to be there for that? It's a really helpful story. Because I think think this is a really helpful example of how is it that we respond in moments where we are faced with something that God is calling us to do that is scary and we need courage. I mean, imagine being told by the religious authorities, who were basically the guys in charge in those days. It wasn't like the church and the state were separate. This was Jerusalem, the Jewish nation, and they're told you do not preach about Jesus. You are in serious trouble if you preach about Jesus. That's probably pretty scary. Imagine you're in that situation and you've been told that just as John and Peter were. What would you do? Well, their response, which I think is amazing, is they go back to the church and they pray. What a brilliant way to respond. Okay? But that, I mean, would that be the first thing that I would turn to? Would that be the first thing that we would turn to? But actually, if you think about it, it's in a sense quite a natural response. So if you've got an emergency that's going on in your home, I don't know, fire or something like that, what's pre- I mean, once you've got out of the house, what's the first thing you do? Phone 999. So we know even on a human level, you call for help in that moment. And so what the disciples do is the most natural but the best thing you could possibly do when you're faced with a situation that requires courage. They call for help. They go and they organize, a, well, organize probably with whoever was there. They had a prayer meeting and they respond by praying to God in light of the situation, which is one of the many, many, many reasons that this 24-7 prayer week is a really good idea. Because one of the things that we can ask God for during this 24-7 prayer week is courage. Courage to keep doing what God has called us to. So can I encourage you, if you haven't signed up for that, or if you have, but you've got time to sign up for more, go online and book in And one of the things that you can pray for during this week with us is courage. That's what the disciples did. They prayed together for courage. And I think it's such a helpful prayer. So we're going to dig into it a little bit because I think this is a prayer that helps us for courage. I think in most situations where we're facing God asking us to do something and we think this is scary. I think it's a brilliant prayer to learn from. I think in this context, it's about preaching the good news of Jesus, but I think it applies to any situation where God would ask us to do something scary and we need courage. And we're going to dig into this and think about what is it that they do? How do they pray? And what does that teach us? And the first thing they do is they remind themselves of who God is. Verse 24, they pray, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's amazing. I think that's brilliant. If, if, If you phone 999, 
you don't usually start by when they answer. You don't usually say, oh, mighty person on the end of the phone. Let me just remind myself about who you are. Because the person on the end of the phone is not God. But when you're approaching God, there's something about reminding yourself of who he is that actually helps you to pray with confidence. I think I, This is brilliant. They have been told by the people in charge what to do. Their first response is, we're going to remind ourselves of the person who's really in charge. Sovereign Lord. What a brilliant thing. I heard Terry Virgo preach on this once. He used the image of they, ro they rose above the situation. Religious authorities saying, do not preach about Jesus. And they said, sovereign Lord. They, rose, they knew who was really in charge. They knew the one who was actually in charge. You see, the leaders of Israel, the leaders of uh, that nation may have been intimidating to them, but they didn't create the universe. Our God did. And so reminding ourselves, it, it's so important. Because in that moment, the disciples realized it was a little bit like they were part of an army. And the general, the, the top dog, sorry, I'm sorry for those of you who are part of the armed forces, I don't really know my ranks too well, but the general of the army had told them to do something. He was in charge. And one of the lower ranking officers had said, you must not do that. In that moment, you need to remind yourself of who the general is. You need to remind yourself of who's truly in charge. And they reminded themselves. And that's why it's so important. In moments of prayer, when we start prayer by thanking God and reminding ourselves of who he is, it's not just to fill time. It's not because we think, are oh, we going to struggle to pray for a whole hour? So let's spend 20 minutes reminding ourselves of who God is because then we've only got 40 minutes to fill. Actually, this prayer, in terms of percentages, there's one line where they request something from God. The rest of it is reminding themselves of who God is and what he's done. And it's so important that we do that. Do you do that when you pray? Do you, I mean, it doesn't mean that you always spend ages reminding yourself of every attribute of God. I think there's a place sometimes for just quick, short prayer saying, God, help me with this. But is the pattern of your prayer life to start with who is God? What is he like? And I think that's such a helpful lesson we can learn. That gives us confidence to pray for courage. I can imagine they already felt themselves getting more courageous before they'd even asked God to give them courage because they reminded themselves, we know who the general is. We know who's truly in charge. So they reminded themselves of who God is. And as they were reminding themselves of who God is, they also turned to scripture. So verses 25 to 26, it's this. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and they quote scripture here, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Okay, what they're doing here is they are quoting a part of Psalm 2. Okay, they're saying, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? That section that's in quotation marks is from Psalm 2. They are reminding themselves of scripture. But as you look at that, you might think, how is that going to give them boldness? They're reminding themselves of a psalm that talks about the fact that God's enemies are going to oppose him. How is that encouraging? We're going to remind ourselves of the fact that God's enemies are really scary and they're raging and they want to destroy God's people. How on earth is that encouraging? Well, let's read on to find out. So we read verses 27 to 28. They continue, after having quoted this passage, they say, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. They used Psalm 2, and they reminded themselves of what had happened a few months before, when Jesus was crucified, before his resurrection. And they 
they realized that was part of God's plan. So that moment where the enemies of God had gathered together to take Jesus and hand him over to be crucified, the disciples looked at Psalm 2 and said, you had planned that. You were in control in that dark moment. You were in control. You had predestined that this would take place, which is amazing to, like, to, to, to be able to say God had planned that the cross, the most awful moment of history had take, would take place, was part of God's plan. But even then, even then, how does that give us real courage? Because if you're in a difficult situation and you say, it's okay, God is in control of the fact that there's this difficult situation, that doesn't necessarily tell you you're going to get out of that difficult situation. All you know in that moment is God is in control. And you think, well, what does that look like? And I think the disciples realized they knew how Psalm 2 ended. They knew that Psalm 2 did not just talk about the fact that God's enemies were raging against him. It also talked about how God responded to that and actually what ends up happening. And I think we could do far worse than actually read the whole of Psalm 2 out to, to realize what is it that the disciples were looking at. As they prayed this prayer, they quoted the first few lines of Psalm 2, but I think they had the whole of it in mind. They didn't just pick a couple of verses out of context. They had the whole of it in mind. So we're going to read Psalm 2, the whole of it, and you'll recognize the first few verses. We've just quoted them. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's God speaking. And then the king speaks here. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, which means I've become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The apostles and the disciples knew how the psalm ends. They quoted the first couple of verses which talk about God's enemies being scary, surrounding God's people and saying, let's overthrow them. Let's take them on. Let's destroy God's people and destroy God's anointed, which is a way of referring to the king, which would be Jesus. But the disciples knew how, how God responded to that. And in verse 4 of Psalm 2, this is just uh, this is brilliant. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You know those moments sometimes in, in, in films where you get like, I don't know, a fight going on and this weedy little kid enters the ring and the guy on the other side just goes, are you serious? That's the way God reacts when he sees the nations trying to outwit him. He sits in the heavens and he looks at it and he laughs. He says, do you seriously think you can actually oppose me? Do you seriously think you can wipe my people out? Do you seriously think you're going to be able to win? And God's response is to say, verse 6 in Psalm 2, As for me, 
I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, Jesus reigns. I have appointed Jesus to be my king. You have no chance of winning. There is no way that any of God's enemies are going to win this battle. And the disciples realized this. And that's why they were able to quote this psalm, to quote the bit that looks scary, because they knew how it ended. They knew that God was ultimately going to win. You see, God's enemies can be very scary sometimes. It can be scary to be rejected if you preach the gospel. And there are many nations around the world where it could be even more scary because you think, if this person does not respond well to the gospel, I may pay with my life. God's enemies can be really scary. But Jesus is even scarier. And he's on our side. You see, the apostles knew what it was to fear God. And they knew that when, they, when you fear God, the fear of man ends up being defeated. They knew, they didn't just know who was in charge, they also knew who was more worth being scared of. This group of religious leaders who were saying, don't preach Jesus, or the one who sits in the heavens, looks at people trying to oppose him and says, you have no chance. They realized God is to be feared more than human beings are. And fear of God, a healthy fear of God, is actually an antidote to a fear of man. When you realize that actually God is to be feared more than human beings are, where when you're more concerned about what God thinks than what human being thinks, it sets you free from the fear of man in those moments. And uh, I can think of a, a one, one example um, where there was a, a, a pastor whom I shall not name for, for, for obvious reasons who shared a story of a, a moment where he was very tempted to do something and in that moment, he was tempted to do something that God did not want, and it would have destroyed his life, destroyed his ministry, destroyed his marriage, everything. And he shared with us, he said, in that moment, if I could have closed the, if I could have closed the, cur the curtains of heaven, I'd have done it. It was the fear of God that kept me from doing that. And there are moments where the fear of God keeps us from caving into the fear of man. There are moments where we say, God is so much more powerful and so much more mighty and so much more awesome. I fear him more than I fear this situation. So I've been in a few contexts, not, not many, mercilessly, where I've, I've had to, mercilessly, mercifully, where I've had to gently confront someone about an area of, of, of sin that I can see in their life. And in those moments, it's very often the fear of God that keeps me, that, that actually means that I do that. Because in those moments I say, I am actually more concerned about what God thinks of me in this conversation than about whether you're going to get annoyed if I gently confront you on this issue. And I think there's something about saying, actually, God is scarier than human beings are that actually helps give us courage. But the thing about the fear of God is the fear of God is not a fear of rejection. It's not a fear that God is going to condemn us. The fear of God actually leads us to take refuge in him. Okay, So there's an unhealthy fear of God, which is to say, I want to be as far away from this God as possible. He's terrifying. That's unhealthy. That is not the fear of God that a Christian should have. The fear of God a Christian should have is to say, I could not imagine being anywhere else, but as close as I could possibly be to this God. It would be terrifying to run away from him. But to be with him is the most blessed place to be. And that's what the psalm says at the end. Blessed. So verse 12, kiss the son. In other words, 
honor Jesus, bow down to him, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, that's spoken to the nations. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There is no safer place to be than near God. And the fear of God drives us to him rather than away. And that's why it's different from the, very often the kind of fear you might experience in, in life. Fear of man drives us away from man, but fear of God drives us to God. And the disciples knew what it was to fear God. And they reminded themselves, God is scarier than the people that we are being opposed by. And so as a result, they clung to God. They clung to Jesus in that moment. And if you are here today and you, and you do not know Jesus for yourself... You may have been visiting for a few times. You may have stumbled across. You might have been even brought up in a church context. Or whatever your background is, can I plead with you, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. When the, Bible is, the Bible makes it clear that when we turn to Jesus and say, I am incapable of saving myself. I need you. I have turned my back against you. I've been like the nations in this psalm, raging and ultimately wanting to disobey you. I want to stop that, turn to you and follow you. The Bible says he will not put anyone who trusts in him to shame. Like this verse says at the end, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And if that's you and you're in a position today where you think, you've got me. I want to make a decision for Jesus today. Then I'm going to stick around for a few minutes at the end of this sermon and I would love you to come and find me and say, that was me. Okay? There, might be one, there may be some of you who are in that situation where you said, I, you know, I've been looking into this for a while. God's on my case. I need to find him. Please come and find me after. I'll be around at the front for a little bit. If you're hearing this and you're a bit interested, but you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure whether this is yet the kind of step I want to take. We also have cards that are on the table where we would love to get in touch with you. If you want to find out more about Jesus, you want to find out more about what it means to follow him, then please do fill in that card with your contact details and we would love to get in touch. But if you're in a position today where you're saying, I want Jesus, I want to respond to him, I want to follow him, please do come and find me at the end. And I would love to pray with you, to talk with you, so we can start this journey of you taking refuge in Jesus together. So the apostles knew that God was not just in control, they knew that, he was on, that they were on the winning side and they knew that because of scripture. They soaked themselves in scripture. And my encouragement, my challenge to us is let's soak ourselves in scripture. There is something about praying the Bible, about praying in line with scripture that has got a power to it. It's like, I don't know, it's like there's a, there's a jagged edge to the prayer. It's like you're trying to, you're trying to cut through a tree with a, uh, with a kitchen knife that's not going to go very far. It's like you add scripture into your prayers and it's like suddenly you've got some jagged edge and you're like, Okay, this is now starting to go through. There's something about taking scripture, remembering who God is that is so important. And um, this is something I really want to be a priority in my life. And so I make decisions and try and create habits so that I can soak myself in scripture. And so for me, what that looks like is putting my alarm earlier than I might want to get up so that I can daily spend time reading scripture and praying. For you, that might look slightly different, but let's make sure that we are a church where people say, I want to know the scriptures, not just so I can reel off loads of Bible verses to impress my friends, but so that I can know God more. And so that when I pray, there's a jagged edge to it where I know I'm, I'm breaking through something. And I think knowing scripture gives you courage. And the disciples encouraged themselves with scripture. And so off the back of all of that, 
after verses and verses of them reminding themselves of who God is, the fact he's in charge, the fact that he's in control, the fact that he's going to win, they then say in verse 29 to 30, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They ask for boldness. And that is something that, is, in a sense, is very easy to do, but we need to remember to. We need to ask God that he would fill us with boldness. When they face a tough situation, they come to God in prayer, and having reminded themselves of who God is and what he has done, they then say, please give us boldness. We want to keep proclaiming the word of God to these people and not be afraid of them. Please, would you give us boldness? And that is exactly what God does. Verse 31 is got to be one of the most impressive ends of a prayer meeting in history. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Imagine being there. Imagine being in that kind of meeting where the room shakes because the presence of God is so obviously there to embolden and empower people to have courage. Imagine being in a prayer meeting like that. Wouldn't you like some of our early bird prayer meetings to be like that, where the room gets shaken? Not because we just like having rooms shaken, but because there's something about the presence of God in that moment where he says, right, I am coming in and I'm going to empower you and embolden you to proclaim the word of God. You can't just simply drum up courage. You can't do that. It won't be a lasting thing. Okay? You might be able to force yourself to do a few things that are scary, but fundamentently, we can't just drum courage up. It's not like we can all just stand in a circle and say, come on, come on, guys, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, we're bold, we're bold, we're bold. Go out. It's going to fail. Within <laughs> however long it takes you naturally to lose your courage, that will fail. What we need to do is ask God to fill us with courage. We need to ask God to give us boldness, and the way that happens is by him filling us with the Holy Spirit. Peter was one of the people who prayed this. And he had stood in front of thousands and had preached the gospel. He healed this man who was, a, who was crippled and then had preached the gospel to another few thousand people. A few months before that, he was cowering in the corner of a room trying to see what Jesus was doing after Jesus had been arrested. And three times people asked him whether he knew Jesus and he denied it every single time. But yet here is Peter standing in front of thousands, proclaiming the good news of Jesus with boldness. What happened? He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And fundamentally, if we want to be a courageous church, we need to be a church that is filled with the Spirit. And so what we're going to do now is we are going to do the same thing that the disciples did in this passage. We are going to stand together in a minute and we're going to pray for courage. We're going to pray that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit and it may be that there are specific situations in your life right now where you need courage. So in this, mo in, in this term, we are looking very much outward. So I think the emphasis of a lot of what we're preaching over this term really can, could feel like it's to do with evangelism very much. But courage is something that is needed in all areas of our Christian life. And so it may be that some of you here today are facing specific situations where you think, I need boldness and I need courage. We're going to pray together as a church that we would be made courageous by God that he would fill us with his Holy Spirit and, and enable us to keep doing his works with boldness. We're going to pray that he would help us to, be, to fear him more than we fear human beings, that he would help us to be more attuned to who he is 
than the situations that are our way. So if you are able, why don't you stand? And uh, I'd love it if we could even imitate the style of the prayer meeting they seem to have had here, which was that they all lifted up their voices at the same, at the same time. And uh, I'd, I'd love it if we could spend some time lifting our voices all together. Okay, now the great thing about that is if you're lifting your voice really loud, then the person next to you is not necessarily going to hear the words that you're saying. So let's, let's have a moment of courage where we lift our voice up and pray to God for courage. You may want, at some point as we're doing this, you may want to tap your neighbor on your shoulder and say, look, here's a situation I need courage in my life. Can you pray for me right now? But let's have a moment where we are crying out to God together for that. So I'm going to get the Guys, to mute me in a second, but let's all, let's all cry out together for boldness, and then Sam can lead us on as we, uh, as we go. So off we go. Father, we thank you, Lord. We pray that you would give us. Father, along with the disciples, we want to say, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up together against the Lord and against his anointed. Lord, we, whatever, whatever kings or nations are set up against us in our personal lives or against us as a church, whatever works of Satan want to try and make us cowards, that want to try and rob us of boldness, we want to say, we trust that you're in control. We trust that you are the general, we're not. Lord God, we trust that you are far more terrifying, yet far more beautiful than any of these situations that can come our way. And so along with the apostles, we want to pray, Lord God, that you would give us boldness. We want to pray, Father, that you would give us courage. Give us courage to continue preaching the gospel to people, Lord God. Give us courage to make difficult decisions, Lord God, that we know what the right decision to make is, but we say, I'm scared to do that. Give us courage, Lord God, to be able to do that. We pray, Father. I pray, Father, give courage. Lord, I pray for teenagers in this room who need courage to continue being faithful to you at school. Give them boldness, Lord. Give them boldness. We pray, Father, Lord God, for, for those in the workplace who need courage to remain steadfast to you in a pressurized environment where they're, where they're being, uh, being, being manipulated to bend the truth. We pray for courage in those moments, Lord God. We pray for courage to speak the gospel of Jesus when it's needed, Lord God. We pray for that. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who gives us courage. You're the one who gives us boldness, Lord God. And Father, we ask, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit right now. Lord God, we ask that you would fill us with boldness. Lord, that you would fill us with a courage that says, you know what, that might be scary, but I, actually God has given me the courage to do that. And I pray we would have so many stories of courage, Lord, over the next few weeks where people say, this situation in my life has been broken because I had the courage that God gave me to step into that. We ask for that, Lord God. We pray for that. Lord, we ask, embolden us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus.